0: Today, I will introduce you to Theodore Parker's sermon, The Transient and the Permanent. Parker gave the sermon at the ordination of a a young minister. And new ministers have a decision to make. How much do you accept the shortcomings of the institutional church? The buildup over the centuries of less than ideal decisions, imperfect doctrines, overreaching moralism, How much do you accept all of that as part of the job? And how much do you challenge it or circumvent it? Parker encouraged this young minister to consider what is the essence of Unitarianism. He said, hold on to the essence of Unitarianism without getting distracted by the transient parts, the parts that are here today, but could be gone tomorrow without losing the essence. In Theodore Parker's time, Unitarianism was a Christian belief. And Parker actually helped to change this. He helped Unitarianism expand beyond Christianity. We still do have Christian UUs. Is that Christian symbol above us. And we also have Buddhist UUs, pagan UUs, humanist UUs, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu UUs. We have Hindus. We have UUs with no additional name added. We even have uh, blank you use, question mark, and question mark you use, thank you. But in Parker's time, he was talking about Christianity, and he asked, what is the essence of Christianity? What is left if you discard the dogma and the symbols and the ritual and the hierarchy? What do you find if you search for the religion of Jesus instead of the religion about Jesus? That question might be relevant to some of you, but uh, I imagine more of you might be in, interested in the question, what is the ens- essence of Unitarian Universalism? What is the essence of it and what can safely change? Parker's sermon was about Christianity, but focusing on Christianity today instead of UUism would contradict his message. Uh, Parker would want me to give a message that is most relevant to this group today. Mark would also not want me to use his speaking style today. Styles change from generation to generation. The particular style is not needed to get the message across. Some of his vocabulary would be unfamiliar today, and his verbosity probably would not be welcome. It is a very long sermon that he gave. So I decided not to merely condense the sermon, I've I've made it my own. The sermon is in my own style. I will quote him uh, and I will use examples relevant today with some historical content too. Experiencing Parker's sermon in the original could be enriching, so I will post a link to the full sermon on Groups.io. And I'll post a few of my favorite quotes to give you access points if you need help getting into the sermon. In my sermon blurb, I said that the sermon was given in the year 1838, but that was actually the year of Ralph Waldo Emerson's Divinity School Address. Two years before that, Emerson and Parker and others began meeting to talk about how to revive religion, and their group became known as the Transcendental Club, or just the Transcendentalists. Organized religion had become stuck in its ways, holding on to rituals that felt empty beliefs that contradicted science, and it was lacking in vigor, lacking in insight. Emerson's Divinity School address said to transcend the religious customs of the day, have a direct experience of the holy. Hire a minister who's having a full human experience, not someone stuck in the dogmas of yesterday or even today. And it was three years after Emerson's address that Parker gave his sermon on the transient and the permanent, getting more specific about what is worth holding on to and what we need to let go of. Parker's sermon was not popular among the powers that be. It did not make the hot 100 sermons of the year. After he gave the sermon, few ministers would exchange pulpits with him. Ministers who agreed with him kept their feelings to themselves to protect their own careers. It is a courageous sermon, a truth-telling sermon. It did not top the charts at the time, but it helped to define liberal religion and birth liberal religion. And it continues to stay near the top of the classic charts today. So now, rewritten for our context, my cover version of Theodore Parker's The Transients and the Permanent. When the Unitarian Universalist Association was formed in 1961, the founding statement referred to the principles of a free faith. It is bold of us to use the word principle. That is bold, yeah? That means we think we got something figured out. A principle is forever, a principle is timeless. When we use the word principle, we claim that we are pointing to something fundamental about the universe. A generation later, in 1985, we reworded and rearranged the principles. Not with the sense that we were now pointing at something different, but with the sense that we are now more accurately pointing at that thing we were trying to point to. There's a Buddhist image of a hand pointing to the moon. I point to the moon, your gaze follows my hand, and once you see the moon, you no longer need my hand. Our principles point to the essence of liberal religion. Once liberal religion clicks for you, once you feel it inside you, you no longer need our principles. Someone is drowning in a river and immediately you jump in and save that person. You don't ask if it's the right thing to do. You don't go through our principles one by one, asking if any of them call you to be a hero today. You already know what to do. So without thinking you jump into that river and make the rescue. Once you see the moon, you don't need the hand pointing at it. once you get liberal religion, you don't need a list of principles. I have heard several of you say that when you first saw the UU principles, there was this flash of recognition. You immediately felt at home. You already knew the moon, and you were delighted to find a religious community that pointed to it. I think this is partly why some of us love the principles, but haven't memorized them. We already wear them on our hearts. If you came across the UU principles before 1985, you would have seen the 1961 version. And perhaps you thought, that's pretty good. Close enough. They're kind of pointing at the moon. And in 1985, when we rearranged and reworded them, you might have thought that is better. Like getting your eyes checked into the optometrist, a new lens is tried and everything just snaps into focus. After 1985, you might have thought now our principles really point at the moon. And then six or seven years ago, an eighth principle was proposed about dismantling racism and other oppressions. Uh, And now you might have looked at that and thought, okay, now, now the hand is really pointing at the moon. There has been a rustling of the leaves. There's been a call throughout the UU Association to replace the seven principles with an annotated list of seven values. When you read that Article 2 proposal, some of you thought, now I see the moon, now I feel at home. Now I can't help but dance under the moonlight. But some of you, when you saw the Article 2 proposal, thought, where are the principles? We are losing track of the moon. Some of us have been wondering, what difference does it make? What is written down in the UUA bylaws? How does that affect us? Which words are more powerful, words written on paper or words written on the human heart? I will quote Theodore Parker now from the sermon, The Transient and the Permanent, on the power of the spoken word. And he is talking about words said to be spoken by Jesus. At first first sight, nothing seems more fleeting than a word. It is an evanescent impulse of the most fickle element. It leaves no track where it went through the air. Yet to this and only this did Jesus entrust the truth which he came laden. He took no pains to perpetuate his thoughts. They were poured forth where occasion found him an audience. By the side of a lake or a well, in a cottage or a temple... In a fisher's boat or in the synagogue of the Jews. He founds no institution as a monument of his words. He appoints no order of people to preserve his bright and glad revelations. He only bids his friends give freely the truth that they have freely received. He did not even write his words in a book. With a noble confidence, he scattered them broadcast on the world, leaving the seed to its own vitality. He sowed the seed in the hearts and he left it there to be watered and warmed by the dew and the sun, which heaven sends. He felt his words for eternity, so he trusted them to the uncertain air. And for 1800 years, that faithful element has held them good. They are repeated from church to church from aisle to aisle and land to land, till their music goes around the world. These words have become the breath of the good, the hope of the wise, the enchantment of our hearts." So that is an optimistic view of what has been done in the name of Jesus. Uh, And in fact, Theodore Parker was not so optimistic. He says that the institutional church went off track Uh, very early in the early days, in the fourth century when it became the Church of Empire. Here's how he puts it. He says, Christianity has come to us in two channels, one within the church and the other without the church. And it is not hazarding too much to say that since the fourth century, the true Christian life has been out of the established church. Not inside it, but rather in the ranks of deserters, dissenters. Sorry, dissenters. Unitarians and Universalists both have a long history of telling the truth as you see it even if it contradicts the powers that be. The religious institution gets bogged down by committee meetings and reports and policies and procedures and vocabularies and power games. While people on the edge can ignore the nonsense and get straight to the heart of the matter. Parker said that the essence of Christianity could be summed up in one phrase. And you'll see it if you look beyond the dogmas, the rituals, the symbols, beyond particular people and what they said. He said, forget the Bible as if it never existed and the essence would still be there. And here's the essence according to Parker. Love to God and love to man. By man, I believe he meant humanity, all people. And the word God in there is loaded. Many, many people have created God in their own image. So the word has been used to command and to control. So I think that to understand what he means, you might need to look beyond the transient aspects of religion to find a deeper meaning. Love to God and love to man the phrase is actually in the founding statement of the Unitarian Universalist Association in 1961. It says, to um, to live the principles of our free faith, You need uh, we seek to do the following six things, which are sometimes called the original six principles. And the second one is, to cherish and spread the universal truths taught by the great prophets and teachers of humanity in every age and tradition, Immemorial is summarized in the Judeo-Christian heritage as love to God and love to man. If that sentence is enough guide for you to live your life by, then you're good to go. But some of us need more beacons to navigate by. So in addition to love, the 1961 statement names justice, peace, worth, dignity, democracy, and more. So that we can each figure this out and what it means, it calls for a free and disciplined search for truth. In 1985, at General Assembly, they were considering a new principle about nature, our relationship to nature. There were many attempts at wording that would capture the imagination of the gathered body, but each suggestion fell short. Eventually, someone stood up at the microphone and said, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. My memory might not be perfect about this. I might be embellishing, but here's how I picture it. After hours of group wordsmithing, this person stepped up to the mic and said, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. And then there was this prolonged moment of silent awe. You know, jaws dropped, heads turned to neighbor. Can you believe this? And then I imagine cheers and a standing ovation, yes. There was a unanimous vote, uh, so it was a good day. But what if he hadn't slept quite right the night before? What if he wasn't quite as inspired? Or what if he had gotten into a whispered conversation with his neighbor instead of getting in line at the microphone? the wording we have would be a bit different that might have changed our understanding of this principle. But I think Theodore Parker would say it would not have changed the underlying principle. If we hadn't pointed quite directly at the moon, uh, that would not have changed the moon and the moon would have kept shining on us until we got a better view. I think, I think of the phrase beloved community. And I think that phrase is at its best when we don't try to pin it down. Um, When you ask me what does beloved community mean, my answer today is what do you imagine when you imagine a community infused with love? Rather than like detailing the hand that's pointing to the moon in a hundred different aspects, what if we simply take a shared breath and contemplate a community infused with love. I we will be changed by imagining the awesomeness beyond the words instead of trying to pin down the words. If you make a practice of centering yourself on our principles or values, I invite you to make stay space for something bigger, something beyond, which uh, was talked about last week. Make space for the truth beyond the words, not just the truth captured by the words. Your belief statement aims at something beautiful, something awesome. You'll find even more beauty, even more awe, if you're willing to imagine that more is there. So please rise and embody your spirits. Join me in singing our closing hymn number 286 in the gray hymnal, The